across the nation. The Raging Cajuns will be a source of pride for this university, for the alumni, fans, and donors as we achieve success in the classroom, in the competitive arena, and in the community. It's about to get really fun. We're looking for dudes that will stand up. Well, Coach, let me tell you today, I'm here and I'm ready to stand up. And I challenge you, Raging Cajun Nation, to stand up with us. Stand up with us. Let's lock hand in hand and let's walk through the gates of Omaha. Hey, I love y'all boys. Let's grind every day starting today. Let's do it. Y'all ready? Alarm! Alarm! Ready! Who's that team ready? Who's that team ready? That's up! I got one thing to say right here. Can you win? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Raging Review Podcast. Nick, Jerry, Josh with you. For another scintillating edition of the podcast, Independence Bowl, Houston Cougars, all on the docket tonight. Jerry, thrilled that you could join us this evening. Nick, how are you guys? <laughs> I'm digging the cayenne. I literally, I did not notice cayenne in the background. And I've got a few cayenne stories that I could probably tell on the After Dark edition a little bit later on after I've had a couple of drinks. But uh, I do appreciate the cayenne in the back. You know, we got it. We got to get the mascot conversation continuing to go, right? So whether it's we cayenne never, or... We can never relent on that because as soon as we do, they'll be like, well, they don't care anymore. We care. We care. So our Damn trio it. is now a foursome. Cayenne's going to join us for this episode and probably several more. I'll be honest with you. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. Jerry, what do you think about the addition to the pod? I think it's a sign. I think it's some type of subtle message that you're trying to send to everybody and to Cajun Nation that, uh, you know, we need a mascot for the new year. That should be our New Year's resolution. You know, it's one thing if you, you know, after a while, after like five or six years where you don't have a mascot and you start playing teams that come to Cajun Field and they come to your your venues and they bring their mascot and then you're looking around going, well, where's ours? Um yeah, after a while, it gets kind of old. You, you you realize, you know, we're missing out here. So that that New Year's resolution for, for Cajun Nation 2023. But our Cayenne is number one, festive. Number two, peace and chain is repping the pod, you see. So you got to, you know, with this new version of Cayenne has got to be more up to date. So this, this is how he's going to stay for a while. Might even leave the hat. I just think it's awesome. I can't. I look on the After Dark Edition. Remind me because I can't wait to tell you what became of one of the Cayenne. Um, I guess whoever portrayed Cayenne at one point, whatever. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that later. <laughs> we got a couple of topics for the After Dark Edition. I'm pretty excited about. God bless you, Jerry. Jerry is under the weather. So is Nick, by the way. But he is uh, he's killing his his disease or sickness or whatever it is with uh, adult beverages. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, there is no cure via the vanilla shake uh, route. So Jesse, Jerry's probably going to suffer a little more. Um, but before we get any further, I got to say a couple of thank yous and then we'll get into sponsors. First of all, big shout out to Theo Sliman, Raging Cajuns golf coach for swagging out the pod with these sick Louisiana hats. I had to wear it tonight. By the way, uh, they are going to take the classics coming up in the spring and the idea is to kind of make it like the Phoenix Open, uh, that rowdy environment. They're going to have some stands set up behind the ninth hole, uh, and there's a whole lot more that goes into that. And we'll uh, we'll 
this is kind of like a preemptive shout out. So I'm going to keep talking about it as it goes. We're going to recruit the water ski team and the baseball guys that go out there and be rowdy with us. Uh, we want to make the classics uh, an event this year. So been talking to them about that. Very excited about it. But once again, thanks to Coach Theo for swagging out the pod with some cool hats. Boys, I will uh, get you those when you come in for the Christmas party. Raging Review Christmas party. Uh, I don't think there'll be any content produced at that thing, but man, we probably could we probably could get some good content out of a dinner with us. And the, I was going to say, I, I think we're going to have content coming as a result of that, but none live. There will be no live come. We definitely got to get the editors. The FCC is going to be involved. We got to, you know, make sure we're doing it right. Uh, so anyway, let's get into sponsors. Obviously, Gordon McKernan, injury attorneys, our fantastic sponsor out of Baton Rouge, have offices all over the state. Lafayette, Alexandria, Lake Charles, Monroe, Shreveport, Zachary, Denham Springs, Gonzalez, Hammond. Uh, guys, remember when you go with G, you get the G guarantee. Gordon will win your case or you don't owe a dime. Nothing at all. Not a fee, not an expense. Absolutely nothing. Uh, Gordon has been very active in the NIL space, helping athletes promote themselves and their personal brands. They've done a tremendous job with our athletes, Raging Cajun athletes and everybody all over the state. If you need to get in touch with Gordon, 888-532-1573. And that's a toll free number. You can also get them at getgordon.com get Gordon and get it done. Also shout out to Lafayette Roofing and General Contractors, licensed and insured, locally owned and family operated. Darren Domain, a proud UL alum and RCAF supporter. Lafayette Roofing is certified with the Better Business Bureau uh, and Mr. Domain sits on the, the, uh, the board of directors for the, uh, the BBB. So that's a cool thing. Reminder, if you haven't inspected your roof for damage with all the weather we've been having this past couple of years, especially this past year, my Lord, I don't even know how many times I've almost flooded or my roof flown off. Uh, make sure you guys are inspecting your roof. If you see any signs of water damage, any dark spots, any holes, cracked or torn shingles, large amounts of shingle granules in your gutters, uh, persistence of rot, mold, or moisture, you want to give Dar Darren and the team a call. They have three different options for financing available, so uh, plenty of options out there to get your job done. They also offer exceptional interior and exterior painting and sheetrock services. That's Darren Doming and the crew over at Lafayette Roofing and General Contractors. Over 10,000 satisfied customers cannot be wrong. Give them a call, 337-237-ROOF. That's 337-237-7663, or visit them on the web at lafayette-roofing.com. Don't forget the dash. Patriot Steel Group. Mr. Chris Russo, a friend of the podcast, uh, one of our very first sponsors, always like to rhyme folks to that. Uh, they want to shout out to all of the RCAF donors. Would like to encourage anybody who is not already a member to please do so if you can. Uh, you want to uh, give Brandon Gollett and Reed Barbier a call, 337 443 9296 or visit the Patriot Steel Group LinkedIn page for a lot more information that then I can explain because it's a little bit over our head, but it's a lot of steel, it's tubulars, it's pipes, they can do all sorts of things oil field related. They have over 100 years uh, of experience combined in the oil field industry. Patriot Steel Group, big thanks, big shout out. So boys, sponsorships done. Uh, we're going to welcome in the Scott and Holman podcast, always like the little tweak there on the podcast thing. I think it's cool. They do a pretty good job. I, I actually got an opportunity to listen to their um, preview of the Independence Bowl. They did a pretty stellar job of 
kind of talking through our offense woes, struggles. There were there were a few things that they kind of left off, but we can talk to uh, our, our guest about that. And I, you know, I don't know if you guys got an opportunity to check them out after we booked them as a guest. Anybody got to listen? Yeah, what's a ULL in Louisiana Lafayette? Oh, we got well, to address this, Mister Mister Sam Raz is going to get an earful from us. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're, we're out here to educate, so there's no hard feelings, no hard feelings. And I'm in Houston, man. So hey, look, I'm a citizen. We're we're we should be friends here, right? Fellow G5, and look, we're going to bring in Sam Raz of the Scott and Holman podcast right now. Sam, thanks so much for taking some time tonight to join the Raging Review podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, fellas. Uh, I'll just add some context to our preview. It was like 1230 Central Time. Uh, coordinating a podcast across like two different time zones, three different time zones, uh, a little bit difficult. I'm going to blame my co-host for 90% of the ULLs on there. I might have let it uh, slip a time or two there. It takes a lot for me not to honestly call y'all USL because a uh, uh, quick side note, my best friend's dad went to UL ages, ages ago, like, 60s or 70s and he just would not shut up about uh what a great school it was uh when i was a kid so i just i have usl burned into my brain as well so honestly we're we're lucky i didn't uh slip into two versions ago right there that's cool look so sam is only one half of the podcast you probably did what i would do if i was a guest i would blame these guys if i said something foolish so good enough just wanted to let every houston person know out there ooh la la is definitely a derogatory term <laughs> here in lafayette and acadiana so just just uh you know all in good fun but uh but sam uh first of all i thought you guys did a pretty good job of kind of diagnosing our ills on offense. You guys didn't spend a ton of time talking about the cluster injuries on the offensive line. I did kind of want to get into that a little bit. When you watch our team, I know we've played three quarterbacks. We have some stats that make you think a few times, but there's also some really ugly things about the offensive numbers. uh, And you guys were hundred percent right on that. I I would like, actually, when I was listening to your preview, I was begging. I was like, man, why they should have just got us as guests. We could have done this. It would have been fantastic content. Uh, but I want to let you know that this team grew up a lot over the course of the year. And no, the offensive numbers are certainly not gaudy. I, I, I understand. Uh, but we had cluster injuries on the offensive line. We had a lot of guys. You guys mentioned uh, Gilly, AJ Gilly, who was in the top 100 uh, of, of uh, I think it was the pro 55. football focus. Yeah, he was 50, 55, I believe, at uh, guard for pro football focus. Yep, that's correct. And uh, he and he was, and honestly, I think, he, honestly, uh, no shots at Gilly. I thought he underperformed. But as far as the line as a whole, very young, often injured. Uh, the offensive line was really, it was, we were skeptical going in, but Things were even worse than we even knew. So uh, just, just real quick off the top, I wanted to talk about your your preview and uh, maybe talk to us about the Scott and Holman podcast, how you guys got started, uh, the, the success you've had recently, and just a little bit about you all. Yeah, we kind of got started uh, between seven and eight years ago. I think I started thinking about really summer of 2014. We didn't really follow through on it until a year later. And, and the principle is kind of simple. Nobody was doing a U of H podcast at the time. So we kind of figured... I think somewhat correctly, well, we can't do a worse job than nobody, right? That was kind of the central thesis of, uh, okay, like we've never, like my co-host and I actually, we did a way back in the day, web 2.0 blog about U of H. It was actually called Scott and Holman. And we really intended on coming up with a new name. We were just like, oh, it's actually a pretty good name. It's an intersection near the school. It's kind of unique, whatever, but never had recorded anything really like, like a podcast had no background really in audio visual anytime recently. So a little growing pains there, but I, I think we kind of started a serendipitous time 2015 
uh, U of H football goes to the Peach Bowl, has probably the best season since I was a very small child. Uh, at that point, wasn't exactly when it turned around, but basketball at least started to show some signs of life. And it, it, we kind of joked with each other, what if we had decided two or three years prior when things really weren't going that great with U of H to have done a podcast? Would we have made it 20 episodes? And I don't think we were exactly sure. So a little bit of serendipity, a little bit of a, a void in people creating Cougar content kind of let us uh, let us to exist uh, here in the uh, podcast space. So let's jump right into it um, and and talk about expectations going into the season. I know we were picked at the top of the Sunbelt Conference by by pretty much a unanimous vote. I think you guys were picked to finish near the top of the um, AAC as well. And and you know we look around and we're like, okay, well we're we're here with with okay records, but I certainly expected to do a little bit more this season. Tell us a little bit about really what happened with you guys this season. I can go into a a long really uh, speech about what happened with us, but what happened with Houston and why didn't you guys really live up to those uh, preseason expectations this year? Quick aside at the start, there's been this great thing the last week or so where our uh, increasingly less popular football coach has framed his expectations that were put. A pause, and it's just like, no, guy, you you guys were very much talking in the summer about how you wanted to be this year Cincinnati, you wanted to be a championship team, and you could do entire. I mean, we just did, uh, I think, a two part deep dive podcast into the season. What went wrong about it? I think we ended up combined about three hours between the two shows. So you could go on and on about it, but I think if you want kind of a simple summation of it, the we expected some defensive regression. The defensive regression though was far, far, far uh, more. I guess drastic than uh, we expected. And while the offense eventually kind of looked like what we expected for Clayton tune and year, year five of him playing college year four in the Dana Holderson system, it eventually started to kind of look something like that. Uh, you certainly didn't see that consistently enough through the first four or five weeks of the season and kind of coincided with four or five weeks in the season, your defense completely falling off cliff. Cause there were some earlier performances where UH's defense very much kept him in against a, pretty strong UTSA team very much kept it in, in it on the road at Lubbock when you got just an absolutely terrible offensive performance. But by the time the offense, I think kind of figured out what it needed to be this year, your defense just really didn't, didn't have any consistent ability to stop even the not so great offense you face. So I think that's kind of the simple summation of how we got from being picked to be this year, Cincinnati to um, very much not being this year, Cincinnati. Yeah. And I think, I think for us too, you know, we, we, I think we underestimated the losses that we would have from a coaching staff perspective, a staffing perspective and a, and a, a skill position perspective, but also you said it and, and we've said it all season consistency, like we've shown flashes of greatness, but I don't think we've kind of sustained that throughout the season, whether it's because of quarterback changes and injuries and that type of thing. So I think we're, we're a little bit in the same boat there. Talk to us a little bit about the independence bowl. How do you guys feel about it? I know we're thrilled to be in it. Uh, we feel it's a historical bowl and, and, and the highest payout that, that I think right now we can get, um, as a, as a G five team, unless we're, we're playing in the an NY six bowl. What do you guys feel about playing us in the independence bowl this season? I think of the options that were available to us. I, I think this is the best one. I'd rather be here than Boca Raton or the military bowl or really any of the other realistic options for what U of H's current conference has in terms of bowl tie-ins. I think I just wanted something that was drivable for the fan base against a decent opponent. That's at least like somewhat in your region that you're not, I don't know, playing someone from the Northeast that you're having to look up base, even as a college football sicko, that I'm having to look up basic details of like what this program is. So from that perspective, it's good. I think really 
I guess you're talking about my feelings now versus what's realistic for this program versus my feelings in August. If you told me in August we were going to be seven and five and playing in the Independence Bowl, I'd be like, ooh, this is the fan base is really going to be turning on this head coach because that was not what we expected in the preseason. But I don't know if you'd told me if you told me after SMU uh, scored 77 points in uh, four quarters of football against us that we'd be seven and five and playing the Independence Bowl, I'd be like, well, I guess it didn't go as bad as it possibly could have gone. So I guess you're not going to be absolutely thrilled about it just given the expectations of what the team was supposed to be in the preseason. But I think considering where you are, considering realistically, I think where this fan base has expected this team to be for the last month and a half, two months of the season, I think it's about where this team deserves to be. I don't think anyone's really, really stoked about this game, but I don't think anyone is just like, I don't think anyone is wishing we were playing in Boca Raton or suburban DC or anything like that. Uh, Sam, there's one common opponent that both the Cajuns and the Cougars have faced this year, and that's Rice. Uh, that's pretty much your crosstown rival. Uh, you were able to, or the Cougars were able to get the best of them, uh, one by seven. The Cajuns, unfortunately, uh, got their 15 game win streak ended uh, or end at the hands of the Rice Owls. Uh, talk a little bit about that game as far as um, terms of how it translates to our bowl game. Uh, from what you saw, if, if, you, if you did see it when the Cajuns played Rice as opposed to when the Cougars were able to squeak one out. Yeah, I was able to I actually, I think in real time, I, I watched, I think, two and a half quarters. I always have multiple screens going on. I was kind of curious about this one. I think I watched about two, two and a half quarters of uh, Rice and UL in real time. I don't know if we could tell anything really useful about either of these teams just because of when that happened in the season versus now, I, I will say probably was a sign for both of our programs that uh, this wasn't going to be the kind of season that met preseason expectations. And I think you were kind uh, about describing the Cougars when it's squeaking it out. It was the, it was the barest of minimums you could do to win a game in regulation that really quite, quite honestly, you could look at how the two teams played and be kind of surprised that U of H pulled it out, which is, is quite the statement on your home field against an opponent with whom really the games haven't been super competitive since 2010 around then between the Cougars and the Owls. This was the first time in a long time that you went into this game as a Cougar fan. You're like, wow, are we going to not potentially beat Rice? It was really, if Rice had gotten the ball back against us with 10 more seconds on their final possession, I genuinely think they either would have gotten the two point conversion to win the game or gone to overtime and eventually won it. They, I think it was like five plays, 85 yards in their last possession. And I think got down to the seven or eight yard line and mercifully through an incompletion and UH ends up winning by seven. But I mean, I think it was a game. The Cougars only managed 24 points offensively. They got a ultimately or 27, but they got a decisive um, fumble return touchdown at the end to win the thing. So I, I just, I think what it showed uh, at the time, and we probably all of us in real time to some degree expect this when we talked about this actually on our deep dive of the season pod, that was my point in the season where I was like, there's no way this team's a serious contender. There's no way this U of H team is an NY six team. No way. If you're struggling this much to be rice, even if this is an improved rice team, no way. This team's an absolute pretender, at least in terms of being like a serious NY six contender. So I think that's what it told us is that uh, all, all four of us with our respective uh, rooting interests of choice were in, in for kind of a rough ride. Not all rough. Cause I, you know, I think both teams had their positive moments. It wasn't all negative, but I think if we, if we had serious conference uh, championship aspirations between the four of us, I think the game against rice should have, uh, should have really uh, changed all our minds. Yeah, and Jerry, if I could real quickly, 
I know Rice ended up winning five games. They had two games at least that they could have won, last possession type games. Rice, in my view, just was a team, lacked talent, but tough as hell. I thought they were a tough team. I thought they played hard and they played the right way and just a couple of bounces here and there and they're a seven and five team rather than five and seven. I just wanted to say that because, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm dumping on Rice. They're not our rival. I don't know if that means anything to you, but I just remember watching that game and I agree with you. I felt the same. There's something not right about this team, talking about the Cajuns in 2022, but I felt like Rice is definitely on the right track. They've got some tough players and I think they're, they're a little offensive coordinator too. Uh, too yep. Yeah, I think he's doing a great job. Yeah, I think they did. They made some good shots. I think they clearly, the, the head coach there took less control of the offense, was truly, clearly trying to make it less a total Stanford clone. So I think that was good. I think I, I think I was very much with you in early October that, hey, this is finally, they're finally showing proof of concept. And then they just got absolutely demolished by Charlotte uh, with an interim head coach. And I was just like, Ooh, is, is there really something happening here? And just, and God, that, and I have no problem dumping in this league because we used to be in it. It was just the worst league. Just Conference USA is such a, bad league there's no no lower point in my cougar fandom than having to be a fan of this team in conference usa and i did it i did it for almost a decade and just wouldn't wish that my worst enemy i just want to tell the folks at home we do kusa jokes all the time so we did not pay sam to say that we did not ask him to say that that's his real feelings genuine organic opinion I mean, last time I checked, we were told that it would be great to move up to a level like Conference USA, according to some certain former athletic directors. So I, I don't know what you're talking about, Sam. How, how, how could you? How could Houston do such a thing and leave Conference USA for the American? I, I mean, it's so prestigious, you know. I know. It has it has <laughs> USA in the name. Can't be- yeah, unpatriotic, right? Anyway. Exactly. So so moving on. Um, what we've seen lately in bowl games, if you're not in the college football playoff or even if you're in the college football playoff, you're seeing players opt out um, players going into the portal. They're going to the draft. They just don't want to play in the bowl game and risk injury. Um, you know, we had some news about the Cajuns, a few players on the Cajun squad doing the same thing. Uh, anybody in particular for the Cougars that are sitting out the bowl game, anybody in particular that's going to make a difference or that would create a, a bigger impact on a Friday. Uh, who are some players that, that uh, will not be, uh, participating in the Independence Bowl for Houston, and also, um, what about the the overall health of, of your uh, of the roster as well? That's surprising. Actually, I think, I think a lot of what I've been saying has been fairly negative about where this program is. That actually, a couple of key Cougar players, I, I would say probably the two most key Cougar players, uh, Tank Dell, uh, top receiver, and Clayton Tune, the quarterback, are both going to be playing in this game. And I know it's the twentieth, so I'll kind of. I'm not going to say I don't believe he's going to play, but it's one of those like, all right, really, really tanked out. You're going to play in the independence ball. Okay. I'm, I'm very happy about it. I'm, I'm excited. I want to see tank Dell and Clayton tune play one more time, but that's been kind of the surprising thing is that there haven't really been any notables that have opted out of this game as of, as of yet again, see here in a few days, whether that holds or wh- whether the staff is sandbagging and it turns out, Oh, we find out 10 minutes for kickoff. Someone's not going to play, but barring that, no, it sounds like actually most of the key guys who are healthy, are going to be playing. And there have been some key injuries this year, I, I think, but none, none rise to the level of, I, I think you just kind of have to bake into a college football season. There are going to be a certain number of injuries. There are going to be key guys that are going to either miss parts of the season or you just, it's a violent sport. You're going to periodically lose guys injuries. It just happens. But I think the most painful one was Derek Parrish, who was off to an incredible start, had four sacks against Texas tech was really looking like a guy who had taken a big step forward. I think he was a, at the time, a six-year senior, so you see 
you're starting to see with the, the COVID you're adding on, like the physical development guys get from age like 22 to 23, that guys who are essentially playing at the same age as first and second year NFL guys. So, but he was someone who looked like he'd really, he was already a good productive player, but he looked like he had taken another step forward that he was going to be a really game changing pass rush. I don't think it would have, I mean, clearly it wouldn't have because he was healthy for Kansas and Kansas just made us look like the silliest, most incompetent defense I've ever seen. But he still would have raised the the floor at least from being, I don't know, whatever SP plus is right now, like the 115th defense to maybe the 85th or 80th. So that's been, I think, the most key loss there. Losing him, you actually, I think, have stayed surprisingly healthy. You did you did lose one of your expected starting linebackers uh, early in the season, right before Parrish actually, um, Malik Robinson, a guy who started out in North Carolina. So, but I, I'm, I don't know. I, I think actually when I looked at our depth chart when it was posted last week, this is actually, I saw a couple of different guys who I hadn't seen in a few weeks. So I think you're actually coming in this one reasonably healthy. Uh, certainly, I think the position group I'm most, most excited to see that bear itself out in is running back. The Cougars have had a couple of really promising young guys there, Brandon Campbell and Stacey Sneed, but it's seemingly keeping them both healthy at the same time has been kind of a challenge. And they were both on the... Um, the pre indie bowl depth chart. So I'll be excited to see potentially what those two guys maybe look like uh, actually healthy at the same time, potentially. Uh, Josh, before you go real quickly, I did have a question for you, Sam, uh, in regards to uh, to Coach Daner Holgerson. I know you made a comment recently about, you know, uh, the expectations of what, you know, what, what was expected of him when he took the job, you know, going from a school like West Virginia, that's in the big 12. And of course you're going to the big 12 anyway, but people were kind of like raising their eyebrows because he had so much success. And then he, he decided to go to Houston. What, what is the overall perception of, of coach Holgerson and, and has he reached the expectations? Is he underachieving? I know Houston paid him some good money to become the head coach. What are the, what's the overall vibe of the fan base towards coach Holgerson and, and what, what like going into the big 12 kind of familiar territory with him. What are your expectations moving forward with him as the head coach? The vibes are pretty bad right now. And I don't think it's been a hundred percent bad. I think a lot of times we're very, we're very much prone to putting stuff into binaries that, Oh, this guy is all terrible. He's done nothing but bad stuff. You're, oh, he's the greatest coach since Vince Lombardi walked this earth. And I think, Obviously, a little bit closer to uh, bad coach than greatest coach to walk this earth with maybe what Dan Horson's done here, but he's done some legitimately good stuff. Like he is the roster talent when he took over for Major Applewhite was absolutely horrible. Major Applewhite should never get a head coaching job in Division One FBS again for how he left this. We didn't have a single division, not a Division One caliber starting cornerback, a guy who I would trust to cover a receiver on the worst team in the country. They basically had to bring in the entire secondary group from scratch and things like that. And I think if whatever reason he threw his hands up or U of H found $20 million in the couch cushions and decided to leave now, he would be leaving a much more talented program than the one he got. So I I think that needs to be stated, but also to, I think more directly answer your question, I would say, no, he hasn't met expectations. You did well last year and you, I think showed some genuinely good stuff, especially on the defensive side of the ball, knew some of that was going to kind of go away because you were losing two NFL quarterbacks, but we figured, okay, you're going to regress a little bit on defense. There's just nowhere to go but down almost for what this defense did last year and losing three three drafted pros on your defense and a free agent and David Anini who's been picked up on some rosters this year. You're not going to, even if you're a well-resourced group of five program, you're not going to immediately recover from losing that much talent. But we figured, okay, this guy's specialty is offense. You're going to see a step up 
kind of in, in conjunction with that on the offensive side of the ball, you might have to play a few more shootouts this year, but you'll you'll finally have the offense that Dana Holgerson has brought in to give to you. And you eventually did, and you saw it in spots, but you also mostly saw those spots against the worst teams in your schedule. And that's that's probably what worries me most about uh, playing the Cajuns is that we haven't really done well against uh, defenses that profile like the Cajuns. So I would say he hasn't done all bad. I think, again, you'll you'll get a fan base, either the person's the greatest coach ever, or they just are terrible and can do nothing right. And I think he's done some genuinely good stuff here. But I'm not wild about the prospects after this season of putting this roster. It's losing a lot of key guys. There are a lot of key guys that are out of eligibility this year. And in Tank Dell's case, a key guy who's not going to be playing college ball next year. And you're going to go against a much tougher league. And the staff is, the recruiting has trended a little bit better, but maybe not the bump that even Cincinnati or UCF has seen. So I would say it's more bad than good. It's not all bad, but I think you'd struggle to find a Cougar fan right now who didn't have at least some reservations about the program is. So it's, it's from some reservations to can't stand the guy and wants them to get fired, which isn't, I think the healthiest place for a program to be. The Apple white comment is great because before we hired Hudspeth, everybody around here wanted major Apple white to be the coach. You guys remember that? Is that because he's from Baton Rouge? Oh, yeah. it, no, it was, at the time he was the hottest OC in the country. De- yeah. He was a decent OC. That, that's the it, thing that was so shocking at Houston. He was a good offensive coordinator. I think it's all because he kicked our ass when he he was at Texas, and we played him that one game, and he just like took us out to the woodshed. And I think we just fell in love with him. Like, well, this guy's awesome, right? And he was young, and everybody wanted to score points, and we were just coming off a regime that didn't score any points. And every, well, I say that that's not true. They had a Ricky and Mike had a great rushing attack, but before that, I mean, it was bad. But everybody wanted him, and and look what he did. So it's a funny thing, serendipitous. Uh, and, and then on the same note, uh, Dana, Dana Holgerson, you, you mentioned that and you mentioned the way you guys feel about him. Have you seen his postseason resume and how he has underperformed uh, in the postseason? It might get yeah. worse after <laughs> after Friday. Just I'm just saying, like, I was, re- I, you know, I read the betting stuff and kind of look at coaches postseason performance and things like that. And I know he doesn't have a playoff resume, but like in bowl games where he's a favorite, it's not good. It's really bad, actually. I'm just gonna point. He he was the uh, he was the coach of one of the most spectacular beatdowns of all time when they dropped seventy on Clemson. Uh, I can't remember what it was. One of the BCS bowls in 2011. I can't remember which one it was now, but they just absolutely they destroyed Clemson. And apparently, that was like a that was that was after that was when Dabo ended up hiring Brett Venables from Oklahoma, and that ended up being a big catalyst for God the uh, us having to get subjected to uh, Dabo Swinney on a yearly basis. Hey, was that the Pat White to uh, West Virginia team? No, I think it was a I think it was a couple years after Pat White. It was it was that general era, but I can't remember Stedman Bailey. It was it was just a, it was it was seven it was seventy to something, and in Clemson ended up firing whoever they had on staff and bringing in uh, bringing in Venables. I just, I just remember that, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, not the best uh, run at West Virginia Bulls, uh, certainly. I will, I will say, though, had an absolutely masterful game plan uh, for Auburn. And by masterful game plan, I mean uh, just repeatedly kicking uh, kicking ourselves. Uh, can I use like light profanity here? Are we, are oh, we yeah, we cuss all the time. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, just repeatedly kicking ourselves in the dick offensively until we finally figured it out in the last drive and banking on our good defense, uh, mostly keeping Auburn in check. That was, that was our general game plan last year. 
I enjoy the question, light profanity. I do that too. Was, uh, Look, I was like, is, is kicking in the dick? Uh, I don't think it's full, full, full profanity. I'm not going to uh, no. use one of the eight words you can't use on TV or whatever. We may come off as put together, but we're just a couple of goofers. That's really all it is. Uh, speaking of, Brett Venables from Lafayette, Louisiana. Another parallel. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, you've Full mentioned circle, man. You've mentioned defense a few times, and I want to get into it. And as the resident defensive guy, uh, I got a couple of things that I looked up. I was doing some research on the program, and I remember Houston Cougar defense in 2021 just was uh, it was hellacious. I remember that very well. I went and looked up the numbers. You guys ended up being number six in total defense in the country. In total defense, number six, 19th in scoring defense, and number one in the country on third down defense, which is something I put a huge premium on. In 22. Those numbers slipped pretty substantially. You guys were 110 in total defense, 117 in scoring defense, and 117th on third down defense. Now, you guys were, let's see, I think it was the worst red zone defense in the country. Yeah, worst red zone defense in the country, Sam. Sounds right. Yeah. uh, And that third down defense, that's like, it's not even one of those like stats you hear and you're surprised. It's just like, oh yeah, if you watch a lot of Cougar football. Couldn't get off the field. yeah, this team just cannot get off the field. And that was something so pronounced from a year ago where, like you point out, the, the team seemed to find an extra gear in third down, was very, very good at getting teams off the field, maybe letting them have a first down or two, but pretty consistently getting them off the field. And this this year's just terrible situationally, terrible in long downs and distances this year. There, there's like, I think I said earlier, the Rice game was where I really, truly lost faith that this team was going to be anything what I, to what I expected them this year. But one of the most just punch in the stuck moments is we had fourth and 20 in Lubbock in overtime with tech having the ball. I think Derek Parrish, who I mentioned earlier, had just gotten a pretty substantial sack. All you had to do was get tech off the field at fourth and 20 and the Cougars are two and zero with wins over UTSA and Texas tech to start the year. And you're thinking, okay, this team, this team might be this year, Cincinnati. And they didn't just let Texas tech's quarterback find an open receiver for the first down. They let him find an open receiver for the first down with like four or five guys behind the sticks and you're just like yeah you're shaking your head just like on what planet are you playing behind the sticks on fourth and 20 like that's your your end zone is the is the uh ah, just yeah it's it was it was terrible it was a terrible defense situation terrible in end of game situations where you're trying to hold a lead that letting utsa go like 50 yards in 20 seconds to get a field goal in the opening week letting tech in that same game earlier go a pretty substantial distance in like less than 40 seconds to get a game tying field goal was just and really critical must-have situations this defense, I think, was at its worst. Yeah, you guys had three top four NFL picks. So, obviously, there was going to be some sort of drop-off. But did you guys expect it to be like this? I mean, I wouldn't think so. Uh, number one in the country on third down defense to almost last. That is, that's not scheme, man. That's something. Yeah, it's been, it's been so hard to figure out. I don't think Doug Belk, the defensive coordinator, who got a lot of glowing profiles, I think rightfully so in the offseason, I don't think he forgot how to coach ball in an offseason. I don't think he, after the season, was like, well, I've got it all in hand and has been, you know, collecting a check and working from home this whole time. I think I think they're really frustrated. I think they work on it every week, but what was so striking about the season was you go from week one to the last regular season game, and they just didn't look like they got better in any key area. Tulsa had a redshirt freshman quarterback, I think making his third or fourth career start. And he just at any critical point was able to find 15, 20 yards of open space. Like if, if you guys had like an average dual threat quarterback, I'd be putting, I'd, I'd be putting a lot of uh, money at the very, very legal uh, gambling establishments here in my, 
current town. Well, let me give you a hot tip. Potentially, potentially, we have one. A, uh, we have one. He's just a baby, and he's going to play because I saw we read that the freshmen get waivers in this bowl game, and even still, he would. This would be game number four, so we do have one. So you might want to maybe slip a fifty or something, but. Uh, I'll think about it. I think I think he's going to get some snaps. Just want to let you know. Interesting. He good. I'm just saying. Let's talk. Speaking of, I mean, we're going to keep on the offense because I want to talk about that a little bit. And you guys, and and that's also for Sam for you a little bit more fun uh, talking offense. Jekyll and Hyde, right? First part of the season, uh, you guys are really struggling through the Memphis game, and then bye week happens, and then something magically clicks in your team, and now you're just blowing people out. Um, obviously, Clayton Toon, Tony Dell, that connection has just been solid for you through that later part of the season. But really, what do you think happened during that bye week that really turned it on offensively for you guys? Was it scheming? Was it just the, the players maturing a little bit? Was it something uh, that that your your offensive coordinator, Shannon Dawson, did? What was it that really turned things around for you guys offensively? I think it was actually in the fourth quarter of that last game before the bye week against Memphis where we scored 20, 20-something points after three quarters of, to repeat what I said earlier, just shooting ourselves in the dick. I think they, in that fourth quarter, realized that you were trying, I think we were chasing like a three score deficit at the time. They're like, we have to go just pass, 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 tempo, 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 which is, it's funny that that's what you think of. Like when you think of early Dana Holgerson was, he was, he was the offensive coordinator at Houston, Oklahoma state, and was just authored some really good passing offenses. And you kind of saw, saw them basically let Clayton tune, just air it out three out of four plays and, and allowed, allowed yourself to uh, come back against Memphis. And I think maybe the staff, cause there was a bye week after that kind of looked at that game was just like, well, we haven't been able to keep a running back healthy and all of our running backs are pretty young as it is. This offensive line seems to be pretty good at pass blocking, kind of hit or miss at run blocking. I think they kind of at that point realized they had to go past to set up the run more than running the ball. And I think you saw more of that. I think you saw less of the staff trying to be a balanced 50, 50. I don't think Holgerson's reasons for doing that for wanting to be a balanced 50, 51 are, are terrible. I think he's talked about how he realized that if he's, if he's running the old school air raid, he's never going to have anything better than maybe a slightly below average defense because you're constantly, you're constantly getting that defense on the field. You're subjecting to 35, 40 minutes of possession per game. That's just not a sustainable way to win ball games. So I, I applaud him for maybe evolving there, but I think you saw in the first four or five games, a UH offense with talented, experienced guys, but not really any kind of consistent identity. Yeah, and, 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 and maybe and maybe the second half of the season you saw them you saw them realize what we're good at and then do a lot more of that. Yeah, and and man, I, I tell you, I've I watched I live in Houston, right? I've watched some of their games just because I mean I watch Rice, I write Houston, I watch us, just because they're our rights rather, just because they're around me. And um and and it was fun to watch, I will tell you that. Um kind of changing the the subject a little bit, after getting to know us a, a little towards this this bowl game and and like you said you watched us against rice so what do you what do you as as a houston fan or i guess what do you guys see out of us as compared to aac is there any particular team in the aac that you would compare us against um just kind of give us a general feeling about what your you guys as fans feel about the louisiana football team this year it's interesting. I've been, I've been very curious about what a matchup would look like. I, I think kind of wish I could, I, I kind of wish I could have seen this matchup last year. That's not insulting this year's teams, but I think it would be really fun to see 
last year's last year's Cajun offense with Levi Lewis with everything y'all were doing versus a good Cougar defense and the uh, you know other side of the ball too. That's that's kind of the matchup that I think I think would be really cool. I think it would be probably a better quality football game even even though you know this could this could be a good one. I don't want to completely dismiss the possibility of this being a fun football game before it happens, but I don't know if there's a there's a good comp. I mean. I think it's it's not apples to apples. I think it, it sort of reminds me. I mean, it's in a flattering way of uh, of East Carolina because, like, East Carolina is it's very much the school of a certain part of North Carolina. And, and like, obviously, there's some you know, there's diaspora. I'm sure there's ECU alums in Charlotte and Columbia and every every me- major metro in that general part of the world. But you know how like I, I think I, my family's from New Orleans, which I, I think people don't realize that Louisiana is really three states in one. You have Cajun country, you have the greater New Orleans. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to give me, give me some credit. I, at least not, you have Cajun country. I will have, give you credit. That's, that's yes. a very, you're, that's More very than astute. Most people outside very of Louisiana know. Yes. yes. It, it really is five states. It's North, North, East and Northwest are totally different. It's South Arkansas and it's basically Mississippi. Then you got central Louisiana, which is like, I don't even know. I don't even know how to describe it. You got Acadiana. That, and, we call it Baton Rouge or. Well, I don't know. I think Baton Rouge is its own thing. Right, they're not. They're they're. I call them franchisey. They're very plastic. Rouge. Plastic. That's all I got. Just the refinery place where you have all the small. A big a big Baton bridge Rouge. where there's always traffic too. Oh go. geez, don't even get me started. Yeah, no. traumatic memories from uh, going to visit family and uh, and crossing that one on an annual basis. But no, I think. But it reminds me of ECU in that. I mean, it's not a perfect comparison because I think. You know, the UL program has been quite good the last several years, and ECU has been going out of a pretty long period of uh, not being that great by their program standards. But that's a that's a program that has a specific part of the state that's very much their own and very much ingrained in the local culture. It was it was cool when, we, when my co-host and I went to Greenville, uh, I think four, wow, time flies, four years ago. It was kind of cool to see the see it transition from being kind of you know your UNC and NC State stuff to when you got to the eastern part of the state it was purple and gold everywhere. I know from my visits to Acadiana just going through as a kid is very much Cajun country and I know everyone's like oh it's an LSU state da, 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 da. but no it's very much about Cajun country in a certain part of the state. So I'd say it's not a perfect comp for all the reasons I said earlier, but I think that's that's kind of closest one I see in our current conference. Yeah, Cajun is a culture. Um, the purple and gold, that's just an identity that people th- try to throw and, and just feel cool about. But but Cajun itself is a culture, and that's what makes it so unique. I have a follow-up question to that before I turn it over to you, Josh. AAC versus Sunbelt. Obviously, you guys are le- leaving. Since he's leaving, they're adding a bunch of Conference USA teams to the AAC. Tell us what you guys think about where the Sunbelt is is in relation to the current G5. There won't be a G5 going forward in a couple of years, but talk about where you feel looking at the, 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 the teams in the Sunbelt versus AAC, where do you think the pecking order is as far as the quote G5 is right now or going forward, I guess, into the future? Yeah, I think it's it really, I think the answer to that is kind of up to a couple of specific AAC teams. Well, I would say kind of three. I would say it's whether UTSA can, jump into a new league and immediately show that their high level winning right now. Isn't just the fact that they're in the worst FBS conference that they're a legitimately good team. That's just so happened to have been playing in a terrible conference. So what they can do maybe coming in from the jump. I don't think the other, I mean, I guess I don't know if Tom, because believe me, I certainly know Tom Herman's ability to turn around a program quickly uh, and unexpectedly, but I think it's up to one or two of the new programs really hitting the ground running from the start. And, and 
I think more importantly, it's up to SMU and Memphis, I think figuring out what their potential is in Memphis's case being near a lot of division one talent, but you know, playing at playing in a dumpy rented stadium and not really supporting their football program the same way they do basketball. And SMU's case, it's whether or not um, a sentient hedge fund without any like actual real organic fans can still pump enough money into a program and also be in a recruiting rich region enough to eventually turn that into being an 11 or 12 win, win team. But if, if those programs stay what they are right now, you know, middle, maybe probably going to be a little bit better just by virtue of two or three top teams leaving. But if they're not, if those two programs aren't drastically better and you don't get something positive from one of the one or two teams that's coming in, or I guess someone like ECU who's been decent, but not great taking a step up. I think I'm not just saying this to flatter the people I'm on with. I think unless you see some serious improvement from the remaining programs, I, I think it is kind of Sunbelt AAC kind of in that already. I don't think there's a drastic difference, honestly, between the conferences. I think some of that also in the Sunbelt side, it's on Texas state figuring out how to, build a, a winning football program uh, app app. I think looking more like the app of the past several years, which we've seen, I think it kind of fits and starts in the last few years, but not maybe really as consistently since uh, Satterfield and Drinkwitz left there. So I, I think there's someone on both sides. I think there's some pro, uh, programming UL kind of, you know, coming, coming off a season where I, I don't think it's uh, I don't, I don't think UL really failed to meet expectations, even if, you were picked certain place in the preseason because I really do think there was a lot to figure out after Napier and a lot of guys left the program. But I think it's, it's what happens the next year or two that I think really determines who's one A or one B, but I would probably give it to the Sun Belt right now, just based on what the schools have actually done on the football field recently. Sam, speaking of the, the matchups in the game itself, uh, talk a little bit about the position groups uh, and the matchups uh, between the Cajuns and the Cougars. Who, who, what would you say uh, in particular uh, matchups or position groups would favor the Cougars? And then based on what you've seen from the Cajuns, what position groups or matchups would favor them? And uh, talk a little bit about your prediction as well for this game and how it's going to play out. I would say probably the most favorable matchup for the Cajuns is just until – until I see it otherwise, I can't believe this Cougar secondary can really stop anyone from throwing the ball. I mean, Kurt, I, I'm sure he's going to be a great college quarterback, but Kurt Warner's true freshman son threw for nearly 500 yards against us uh, on our home field, and it was just all dinks and dunks and what have you. So I, I refuse. It might. Who knows? The game might end up uh, proving me completely wrong, but I refuse to give the benefit of the doubt to this uh, Cougar secondary. So I, I would say, really, at this point, any passing game against this Cougar secondary to me is uh, – it's not a match where you're feeling great with uh, if you're a Cougar fan. And I would say, and I, don't, I don't know if I feel wildly confident about this, but I do like where the Cougar running back group is uh, health-wise as compared to where they've been a lot of the season. I would like to see, because they've both at different points, Brandon Campbell and Stacey Sneed. Stacey Sneed especially just absolutely tore a pretty solid ECU defense. A new one went up to Greenville um, a couple weeks ago. or Sorry, the second to last game of the season, not a couple weeks ago at this point. Uh, time really flies. But... I, th- I thought I saw that the Cajuns had struggled stopping the run in some of the recent games. I know uh, one of y'all's top pass rushers is uh, is not playing this one. So I would guess it's a Cougar running attack, but I mean, I don't know if that group's given it to me consistently enough to really feel wildly confident about that. I think I think the matchup I'm actually most excited about uh, in this one, because I think it's a good strength for strength matchup. You probably heard me on the podcast talk about it, is, uh, is this Cougar passing attack against this Cajun secondary, because that secondary does have all its key guys in the career passing offense, at least as of right now, does have all of its key guys there. And I really like seeing 
I really like seeing a team's strength on another team's strength. And I think that's going to be a really good matchup. Probably the matchup that's going to dictate, you know, can, can the Cougars for the first time this year establish a passing attack against a, a really stingy secondary? And I think, I think the answer to that quite, if the Cougars can throw for a fair amount of yards against the Cajuns, which I think is a pretty big if, then I feel pretty good about the Cougars' chances. But like I said, I think at the top, it's been not consistent against the uh, defenses that have the Cajuns profile to this point. Couldn't agree more. I think the best football games are built on strength versus strength matchups. There's no question that Tune and that passing attack is the strength of your football team. I think that there's no question. I've probably said it every episode from the beginning of this season to now that our our uh, uh, secondary was the backbone and really the heart of heart and soul of our team. I really I, I hate that you know that Andre Jones is not going to be able to play. Look, he's preparing for a career, so I understand it. I'm not mad at all. Uh, he's a friend of the pod, and I hope the best for him, but could really use him. Could really use him on Friday. But, uh, Sam, really appreciate your candor. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. I know we kept you a little bit longer than expected, but really good information and uh, really honest and solid answers. I appreciate that. Please let the audience know where to find you and your co-hosts and all the content that you guys produce. Yeah, and thanks for having me, fellas. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've really uh, enjoyed talking about this one. Probably more than I've enjoyed talking about this bowl game uh, in any other form or fashion. But uh, you can find us on Twitter, probably our most active social media platform, at SHPAWDcast. We're pretty active on there. We're on any social media platform. Uh, you can find Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Scott and Holman Podcast, PAWDcast, because we're nothing else if not uh, complete uh, unrepentant dorks here uh, at that show. So find us there. Here's talk about the... Uh, bowl game here is add one more l than you'd prefer uh to hear us add to uh your beloved school's name and uh give our give our thoughts at about 12 30 p.m or 12 30 a.m central time uh on a december 23rd bowl game hey sam before you go are you in houston or are you outside of the area i'm outside there my my co-host is in houston i am in uh in beautiful las vegas nevada all right well tell your co-host to uh to get in touch with us i will gladly if 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 uh we lose the game provide either a gumbo or crawfish etouffee to him home cooked so uh just tell him to get in touch with me and get some tex-mex going we'll have a little thing and uh it'll be fun yeah this is real. I haven't had a good etouffee or boudin or anything, anything delicious in like six months. So I, I'll be, I'd be very jealous of him there. I got boudin too. So we got to cover, man. Sam Rass. Thanks, Sam. Take care, thanks, bud. Alls. Good stuff. Man. Oh, it was really good. You know, it was fun. You know, it's always fun when the guest actually brings some real good knowledge. Uh, and that was about as good of a preview as you're going to get. Uh, trust me. I've looked for him. Not a whole lot out there, to be honest with you. Uh, Anyway, so thanks to them, uh, 50% of the Scott and Holman pod podcast. Very good. So, Jerry, <clears throat> feeling all right? Or are we all right? We're good, good to continue? Uh, I see you sneezing. We're and good, man. We're, you look, we're, you look, you look like shit, man. I got to be honest. We need to get a little nebulizer going <laughs> over there or something, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's just it, it's this weather, man. Like the other day, um, I'm outside or like a week ago, I'm putting up Christmas lights. I'm sweating outside, literally sweating. And then a week later, it's 45 degrees. And when you when you have temperature changes like this from, you know, 75 to 45 in a span of one or two days, catches up with you, especially when you have sinus issues like I do. So uh, the A-Bear household has been a Petri dish for the last few weeks of, of sicknesses and stuff. But uh, we're, we're going to get through it. We're going to grind through it. So is that like 
they, I know we all say that. Like the the temperatures up and down, so we're all sick. Is that a real thing, or is that like? No, it's not. Don't go outside with your hair wet. You're gonna get My sick. My mother. Look, I will. God, I hope she's not watching. She is. She does this thing where like you better put a cap on before you go outside because it's cold and you're gonna get sick. And I'm like, it has. My mom, when she comes to my house, God bless you, I love you. She turns off every fan in the house. She's convinced she gets a sinus infection if she sits under a fan. So. It's an old Cajun thing, I guess. I don't know, but there was no proven scientific fact that you get a sinus well, infection caused by bacteria from sitting under a fan. But what do I know? I, but but the other night I slept with no blanket and I, my throat started to hurt. I've actually gotten sinus strips from sleeping either with the fan on top of me or I can't sleep with like cold air blowing in my face. Every time I'm going to say I you're not going to get a sinus strip. I'm just saying you cannot medically, scientifically get an infection from sitting under a a, a fan, but again, try telling Grammy that you can't <laughs> you tell can Cajun people anything. <laughs> hey, it can mess with your sinuses though, like it is mine. So, uh, unfortunately, I was on the 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 the, the short end of the stick there. But it's like the old uh, going. don't take a bath in a lightning storm because it'll strike the water yeah, tower and you're all going to get electrocuted. Yeah, <laughs> y'all still do that, don't you? I don't. Nick didn't do say anything. A, I do not take a shower during a lightning storm. Are you or crazy? use a landline, right? You can't use a landline either. You <laughs> get struck. You get well, struck. Who has a landline Stay away from anymore? The window. Don't go. Don't don't sit by the window either. Jerry, do you have a landline? Be honest. No. Anyway, we can probably do the next three topics all in one because obviously they all kind of have to do with each other. You know, I mentioned I mentioned Andre Jones in the in the interview. He's going to the NFL. He's preparing for the NFL. Not going to play. Uh, Chris Smith, not expected to play. Uh, well, obviously, we know that Mike Jefferson's not going to play. Those are three major contributors for us. Will definitely impact the game, especially considering all of... I mean, look, we don't have another wide receiver over 300 yards. That's how important Michael Jefferson is to this offense. Uh, Andre Jones is going to the, the East-West Shrine Bowl. So that's how important he is. And Chris Smith has just been all everything back for four years. Those are major contributors. It will definitely impact our offense. Do I think we can score points? Of course I do. Um, But our offense will definitely be impacted. I think that the linebacking crew has evolved to the point that losing Andre is no question uh, a blow. But I think that we'll be able to cover up that loss a little bit better than we will when we miss Chris Smith and obviously Jefferson, who's been in all everything for us. Thoughts on those guys not being able to play. Uh, Nick, we'll start with you, and then we'll go into you know, who you expect to kind of step up. And, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll say this. I think John Stevens has a golden opportunity as a wide receiver to go out and catch some passes. He's going to be targeted. I mean, he can fill the role that a Michael Jefferson has filled all year, but you just got to catch the football. Go ahead, Nick. I agree. I was going to say John Stevens Jr. has an opportunity. Our, our running backs have an opportunity. Um, you know, we're also going to be down. Um, who's the other? Dante is not going to be playing, right? Yeah, is Mr. Dante Fleming playing? has committed to... Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, Too lame. He's, he's gone. Look, I. Ah. this is a tough one for me, man, because I'm I'm so loyal to the program, and, and that's why I do this, and that's why I've been involved with them for 20 years. And, and I'm not – this is not a hit against the guys who were deciding not to play because I understand their line of thought is, well, I'm declaring for the NFL draft. But my – Look, if if I'm on a team and and I'm, I currently work on a team, 
if I am going to another firm next month, I'm going to do everything for my team right now that I can to help them be successful for when I go. And if that means I might take a step back or something may have happened to me in the interim that may affect me going to the other place, that's neither here or there. My commitment is to the team at this very time. I appreciate what Zion is doing because he's staying. Zion Hill Green is going to go into the draft, but he's like, you know what? I'm still going to play because I'm a team guy. I'm not a me guy. Well, he's also going to set the school record in sacks. And, and that too. I think right? that's important to him. Maybe not, but I think it is. It is, but but it's it's tough for me. Again, I'm not, this is not a hit on any of those guys, but it's just for me, if I were a player, I get the money thing and I get the NFL thing and I get all that stuff. But all the guys that have been through so much stuff for these last four years, three years, two years, however long you've been here, I want to get this win for them. And that's why I struggle with it because I feel like it's a me thing that I'm not going to play. And it's not a team thing where I want to do, you know, it's a community and I want to do what's best for the team and I want to get the win and I want to show my appreciation and thanks. So it's, again, it's not a hit on anyone. I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but it's disappointing for me as a fan sitting back and saying, I get that you're you want to play at the next level. I wish you the best. I'm going to support you regardless of your decision. But then again, I look at the guys who decided to stay and play this game and think this would help them. And it, it it's a conflicting kind of feeling inside of me. You know, I think it's a, a small example of the of a bigger problem in college football is that there's no. To me, the commitment level has really dwindled over the last decade or so with NIL and the transfer rules and the portal. And it really is indicative of players just, you know, it's it, they, they just want the opportunity to get recognized and, and, and stand out in a way where it doesn't matter where they go. It doesn't matter where they leave or who they leave as long as they have that opportunity to spotlight them. And I think sitting out of bowl games and you really started to see it a few years ago. One of the biggest examples was whenever UCF beat Auburn, right? Everybody's talking about how big of a win that was for UCF. Auburn had their fourth string, you know, basically their entire fourth string defense playing because everybody else opted out or sat out. And, and I think coach Saban was the one that said it a few years ago. Somebody had asked him, why, why are you seeing so many players sit out? And he said it, he's like, well, you guys, the media, you promote, you promote the college football playoff. So for those who aren't participating in the playoff, why should they play? If you've got a player that is, you know, one game away from finishing his collegiate career and he's a first round pick, why go into a bowl game that pretty much is meaningless? I mean, yeah, you win a trophy and a ring, but you've got multi-million, multi-million reasons to go and move forward to the draft because of the multi-million dollar contract you're about to sign. Why risk the injury? So it's kind of a catch-22 for me. I understand that. At the same time, it's it's. I guess a good example would be Deion Sanders. We all know he just took the job at Colorado. Very happy for Coach Prime. He's going to do great there. But if you notice, he multitasked just like he did playing football and baseball where for a good two weeks he was between Colorado and Jackson State coaching both teams because he wanted to go back to Jackson State and finish what he started. Now, Jackson State didn't win the Celebration Bowl, but he kept going back and forth, taking charter flights from Boulder to Jackson every other day because he wanted to finish what he started and he wanted his players to finish what they started. To your point, Nick, I kind of wish that some players still kind of had that mindset of, look, I've been going through blood, sweat, and tears running up that Cajun field hill. 
on a January morning where it's 20 degrees outside. I, at least to me, it's like, just finish this game, finish this one game. And also like, this is an opportunity to really show out against Houston, a a team that's going to the big 12 in a year. This is a chance to play on national TV against a good quality opponent. And if you have a great game, that might up your draft stock if you want to go pro. So, you know, I'm like you, I I, look, I don't, I don't fault the players for wanting to do that because after a while, they're going to have to look out for their career. But on the other hand, I, you know, selfishly, I kind of wish they would come back for one more game because they put the blood, sweat and tears into this program. And I just wish that they would just kind of finish it off. But again, I don't fault them. I understand. And unfortunately, it's just an indicative of what college football has really become today. You unintentionally said exactly what I was thinking. My career, my millions of what if I get injured? What if I this? What if I that? It's an I world. And, and there's no more team. There's no more. It's us. It's we're in this together. And, and it's part of, like you said, a bigger problem with IL NIL, the transfer portal, um, the UTSA coach was a trailer just came out and said, you know, NCAA do something about, about tampering there. There is no NCAA there for all intents and purposes. There is no control over anything that college football is doing right now. It's all about the money. And until we get that under control and until we start putting some, some kind of, of barriers and safeguards against this kind of stuff, it's going to continue happening. And it's going to continue being about me, me, I, me, me, instead of team and we and loyalty and thank the program and, and thank the team and all that. So th- I think that's what just get in, inside of me. I'm just pissed off because it just leads to a bigger problem in college football that nobody wants to touch and that, oh, we're powerless. Oh, we can't do this. Oh, we can't do that. And it's destroying college football. Like we're in the first two years of it. If we don't do something, then it's just going to be us versus them. And there's going to be more of uh, or less of you know, the big boys and, and the rest of them, what's going to happen? I don't know. So it, that, that just gets into a whole different conversation, but, but, but who created that? Who created that? You talk well, about the NCAA has no say who they created it. They allowed this to happen. And you see these bigger schools now where players are leaving. I mean, you got players in the portal who were standout stars for these power five teams. They're jumping in the portal going elsewhere because they get a better deal somewhere else. So even the power five teams are really starting to kind of feel the brunt of it. I find it ironic because I would not be surprised if now that the power five, see, it wasn't a big deal when they're leaving UL. It wasn't a big deal when they were leaving a group of five school to go to a power five. But now that you're starting to see the power five feel the brunt of it. Don't be surprised if the NCAA comes out and says, no, whoa, 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 wait a second. We're going to set some boundaries here. When in reality, they should have done it two or three years ago before all of this started. I'll, I'll just finish this thought, Josh. I'll go to you. It's if we as Cajun fans feel I feel the trailer thing because you had a guy that was on Sunday saying I am committed to the school and then on Monday's like nope I'm gone. What magically happened in 24 hours in his head? I mean, you can't tell me that the kid decided on his own that all of a sudden he's going to be committed and not. There's something going on and nobody wants to talk about it because they're all doing it. Well, three of our top four recruits. Uh, from a ranking standpoint, have flipped to P5 schools. So it's happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere, and it's already hit home. Uh, Jerry, complete your thought, and then we can continue the conversation. Who do you look to step up in the absence of Chris Smith, Jefferson, and Andre Jones? 
Well, I expect Terrence Williams to hopefully get some carries. Um, I do hope that he, he's able to step up. He's actually had some good games. Trey Washington lit it up against Texas State. I hope he keeps that momentum going because we're going to need him on the ground game. I, I hope, and I really want to see Chandler have a good game. Um, if he could pick up from where he left off against Texas State, he even looked great against Florida State in the second half once he calmed down. Um, not having Jefferson is going to hurt a little bit because he is the main target. He is the main check down. But we do have other receivers, uh, quality receivers that can step in. Um, you know, you got a veteran like you got Stevens, you got LeBlanc, uh, I believe Rogers. Rogers is probably going to play too, right? I'm assuming he didn't go into the portal. No, he's going to play. You got Jacob Bernard. You've you got, got you got you've got Jacob Bernard. LeJean. You've got guys. You got the and, whole tight end one room. Thing that you got the tight end room, right? And one thing that I've noticed that Sam said that really stuck out to me was he talked about if you guys have a decent passing game, you should be able to throw on the Houston secondary, which I've seen some of their scores, and they're like basketball scores. So their defense does give up points. I think the main, to me, the main component of what we have to do to win because of the fact that Houston's defense isn't as strong as uh, as we might have anticipated going into the season, our secondary needs to step up. Now it's a game of matchups and who can make the big play our secondary has to step up because Houston's strength is the passing game. So that's going to be kind of key for me. It's always kind of been that way all year where, you know, you go into a, a, a basically a track meet between two good offenses and it's all about who can make the play. I'm going to be looking out for our secondary because I mean, really there's nobody, I don't think anybody's left on our secondary and they're not going anywhere. So they're going to be playing. So that's going to be huge. Uh, stop that, that prolific offense attack that, that the Cougars have. And if we can make that big play and our offense kind of does what they do and, and is able to sustain some drives and get some points, we really do have a legitimate shot to win this thing. And look, don't forget about, about Peter LeBlanc and don't forget about our tight ends, right? So we still Lance have Lejeune. some Lance Lejeune. I expect big things from him. I think, look, I think Lance Lejeune, and this is maybe me thinking as a fanboy, I think he's going to have a big game. I think there's going to be, I think we might see him out in wildcat formation. I don't know. I think crazy things are going to happen because it's a bowl game. Crazy things happen. So I think it's going to be fun. And, and and like you said, Jerry, and like like Sam alluded to, their secondary struggles. If we don't attack their secondary, then there's there's a problem. Like we're not game planning right, dude. By so the I numbers, they're one of the worst defenses in college football. By the that's numbers, what I'm saying, and that's through the that's course of saying. the entire season. Yep. And I'm, so. if if Lance is not part of the game plan on Friday, then the coaches aren't doing their job because he showed you down you the know, stretch that he can be a weapon. And we talk about the weather, and we all know it's going to be freezing cold, but. Weather conditions play a role in this. I'm really curious to see how our, our coaches game plan for the weather. Okay, so right, 30 mile winds. That's gonna change, that's gonna change a little bit for us. And I think, believe it or not, I would hope that our running our rushing attack should be advantageous in that regard because, you know, like I said, Houston throws the ball pretty well, but we run the ball too. We run the ball well. So that's gonna be I'm gonna be curious to see how we handle that. Um, if it's to the point where you have 30 mile an hour wind gusts. I mean, I expect us to to use that that backfield, uh, giving the some giving the carries to Washington, giving the carries to Williams. I mean, I don't even know about Jacob Cabote. I haven't seen seen him in a while. Hopefully, he may may get to participate. Supposed to be well healthy. Play. Supposed to be healthy. Yeah, I mean, we got we got some workhorses in the backfield we can use in this weather that that can really make a big difference. It's a good point, and field position is going to be important. And if you can't kick field goals and you can't punt the ball, you have to run the ball. And I feel more confident than at any other point in the season that we will be able to run the ball. I think Dre Washington is healthy. I love the way he's been running it. 
Uh, I look for him to step up big time. Uh, but I'm I'm keen on Neil Johnson and Lance LeJean making an impact on this game in a passing game. Uh, also, Jacob Bernard and Errol Rodgers are really nice slant slot receivers. I think Jacob's a little bit more versatile, but Errol Rodgers is really good in that five and in, five and out slant, you know, out and up, all those types of things. We got to we gotta be able to utilize that because, like Sam said, that, that dump-off type passing game, apparently they play people back. I don't know what kind of zone they play, but apparently it's open to be exploited. So we got to see that happen. Got to see that. I want to see John Stevens Jr. make some money on Friday. I want to see him go out and show people I'm a number one. I'm an option. I, I, I'm, I'm the best receiver on this field. I have the size mismatch. I have the speed and the athleticism. I'm the guy that you got to be worried about. I got to see that out of him. We've seen glimpses throughout his career as a Cajun, but I got to see it. I got to see him step in and fill a role that we need. Because when you do that, you are a true number one. Can he be the true number one? He's got the talent. So I got to see look, that. Look, I... I'm going to go out on a limb, and I think of all the wide receivers that I think are going to surprise us because they do the dink and dunk thing, they're not good against it. Houston, look for Dalen Cambry, man, because he sure. he he has the ability in the middle of the field. He's quick. He's small. He can find those little holes and make the catches. I think if we if we go with that game plan and don't try to stretch the field right off the bat, I think Dalen can make a difference in the game. And he's tough. And he's tough. He's a tough kid. He's underrated as a tough guy. So yep. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he made an impact on the game. To, to complete the thought on the transfer portal and everything, it's your classic point of view versus point of view. As fans, we're caught in the middle. There's really nothing we can do. We all see what's happening. Um, I get 100% why. Like Ryan made a point earlier about um, Bryce Young playing in his bowl game. Bryce Young is a blue-chip Heisman-winning quarterback. He could literally have his right arm ripped off and he would still get drafted. Andre Jones is a fringe. I think he's probably a fourth or fifth round type guy. I think his grades are six round. Jerry, if I'm wrong on that, maybe you can correct me. I think he has a six round grade. If he has a knee injury, he's not going to get a practice squad invite. So it's a little bit different in that regard. Now, I do think the world of Bryce Young for playing in the game. I think the world of Will Anderson for playing in their game because they have small things to gain, but a lot to lose. So I think it's, I think that there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, I think guys like Chris Smith can make some more money by having a good performance in the Independence Bowl on national television. Uh, you know, I don't 100% agree with sitting out, but then again, I'm biased. I'm as a fan, I want to see him play. But, I, but I'm thinking of like if I'm the guy who's risking uh, injury or money or whatever, you got to weigh both things. And sometimes it's not necessarily the player that's making a bad decision. It's some of the advice that he's getting. Some of these agents get in their ears and they say, oh, you don't need to play in that game. You know, you're fine. This is where you're going to grade out. And a lot of times it doesn't pan out the way they tell them it's going to pan out. So I'm not going to hold it against him too badly. Chris Smith, is he's been a great Raging Cajun. So uh, I think that he should play, but he knows his body better than me. There, He has been injury prone in certain circumstances, so maybe he knows something that we don't. Uh, Mike Jefferson, I think, is a legit third, fourth round type wide receiver. Um Go back to the Florida State game. I mean, even against a pretty stout defense with everything that was going on, being behind and all, of th they knew that Chandler was going to have to throw the ball, and he was still a nightmare for that secondary. I think he's a legit third or fourth round pick. I don't think he has much to gain in the in the game other than injury. So I get Michael Jefferson. If it's me, it's easy to say I would play because it's a team environment. I want to do it for the guys. But then again, 
It's a business decision. And I understand it. I don't like it. I don't like that collegiate athletics has become what it's become. At the same time, the 40, 50, 60 years that preceded it uh, was a lot of players getting taken advantage of, and now they're making their money. So I think it's kind of like this deluge of it's all about me, and it's about me making my money and making my business decision and getting to the pros. I think that that's going to be pulled back on. I think that there's going to come a time. Everything is cyclical, guys. You know that. There's a bell curve to everything. I think at some point, you're going to get more of those three- and four-year starters staying, playing in the bowl games. I think the bowl games will probably largely go away. I think the postseason is going to look a lot differently in the coming years with the expanded playoff and everything. But I think that I think that all this money being infused to all these players like Drake May getting offered $5 million from an SEC school, at some point somebody's got to step in and change the direction of all this because this is this is free agency. There is absolutely no enforcement arm to make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't happen right now. And I know they just hired it was the governor of Massachusetts that's going to Which is stupid. lead the NCAA. The way, Why are we going politics? Why are we going politics on this? We need somebody that knows how to run a business. In my view, I, I don't know. I think it's I, who knows who who the hell knows. Probably but somebody again, owed somebody a favor, and that's how that went. Josh, you just said it. Like five million dollars for this. Somebody mentioned that a whole softball team was getting you know rental cars or leases or whatever cars for however long they played. It's supposed to be nil is name, image, and likeness. Where is the name, image, and likeness? This is not nil, and and it's free agency, but with no rules. Like, how do you, I, I just, I, I can't understand how an organization that is supposed to oversee the entirety of college athletics can't, one, foresee that NIL is going to become a thing, and two, put some kind of, of, of you know, structure around it. No, it's just free for all. And like, and, and yeah, I get it. There's going to be some, probably down the road, there's going to be some uh, structure around it because, like you said, the big teams are going to hurt. So God forbid Alabama gets hurt by it. Well, then we need to pay attention. But but by the time we get there, what other teams are going to suffer and and maybe even not exist or or, or or drop down to a level that's that's not relevant? So something's got to happen soon. We can't just sit on this for another 10 years because I'll tell you what, we ain't got the money in the city of Lafayette to support the NIL against all these SEC teams that are in our recruiting territory. Well, certainly not the way we promote our brand. That's for damn sure. Well, but that, I, that's a whole other story. I think we are also lying to ourselves if we don't think that these people who are champion, championing the NIL legislation and, and really rooting for it, I think we're lying to ourselves if we didn't know that they knew what this was going to be. Because 100%. first of all, it was already happening in lots of different corners of college football, but now it's wide out in the open. You can do whatever you want. So nobody's the bad guy anymore. You know, I I don't know. I, I, I see it totally differently. I, I, from a lot of people, not you guys, we talk about this all the time, but from a lot of people, they're just so shocked that there's no oversight and all this stuff. This was always going to happen. This is not a, this is not a surprise to anybody that paid attention to college, the business of college sports for sure. And I know about the Ed O'Bannon case and I know all that stuff, but look at the people who were pro this. Look at the people who were pro NIL all along. They were always going to stand the game. And we were always going to, we, the G5, the lower level schools, we were always going to stand to struggle when this got kicked into effect. Again, I think, I think what's happened is you're starting to see some of the P5s get the, a taste of their own medicine. You're starting to see some of their star players leave. And now, now again, 
it's just funny because I do think that's going to kick off a a wave of action by the NCAA and all these different come to step in and say, well, we need to do something. But it's unfortunate that that's what it takes instead of, again, having a little bit of oversight beforehand and not having this, you know, this this whole entire thing just collapse just for the benefit of a few people, whether it's legislators, whether it's certain schools, whether it's donors and benefactors. We all knew from the beginning this was a dumpster fire waiting to happen. It's just unfortunate that they still gave it the green light for it to get to this point. It is unfortunate, but they don't care about schools like UL, man. They just don't and never will. If they did, then they would do things like uh, the uh, cost of attendance. What is it called? The cost of the stipend. Stipend, right? The cost they of attendance stipend. That. They, yes. They put cost on NIL. They they put limits on that. They put limits on I don't know head coaches getting paid four million a year. Like that is insane. So there, there would be some kind of reform that put limits on all these things and make it fair across the board for all of the FBS teams, but they're not going to do that. But y'all realize it doesn't benefit them. That's why all this got to a fever pitch. You got Nick Saban making $9 million bucks a year. They paid off all his bills, all his, his home, his vehicles, everything. He gets money under the table that we probably don't know about. The sponsorships, who knows how much, how much a year he makes. And you have these kids that are giving their all for their little universities, and they go from diamonds in the rough to NFL prospects, and they get hurt in bowl games. And it's just been happening for years and years and years, so I'm not upset about it. I don't like it as a college football fan. I don't like it. I hate it. It's, it's hard to fall in love with these players like we used to when we know they're going to be here a year and then they're going to the next payday, or we know that they're not going to play in the bowl game because they got, they got to watch out for themselves, which I get as an independent contractor, totally understand. You got to look out for you, but for the health of the game, nobody can tell me that this is healthy for the game for the long-term health of the game, especially it's just, it's bad across the board. It's bad, but it's, it's like you had said, Josh, I mean, we get it. We understand why players are, but they were doing but it just goes back to the fact that it should have never gotten to this point. And it goes back to the fact that there were no boundaries that were set. It goes back to the fact that you see all of these different schools that are just losing players. And again, it's not, it's not just the group of five anymore. It's not just a group of five anymore. It's basically who can go to the highest bidder of NIL, you know, what, who, what, what corporation or what company or what benefactor has ties to certain schools that can pay you the most. So if a player is at, I don't know, I'm just going to throw a name out there. If a player is playing for Illinois and, and Ohio state comes calling because they have some special NIL deal. Most likely he's going to leave, not just because of the pageantry of what Ohio state offers, but because he's probably getting paid more. I mean, it's free agency. That's what it is. Which is but what the collectives what are all happened? about. But you know what hasn't happened yet, Jerry? Cause we're so new into this. What happens with the kid that they pay doesn't produce. Or what we're happens when they now. promise a check and the kid doesn't get paid. And we're seeing that we're seeing both of them. We're starting to see it. Exactly. We're starting to see see, We're starting to see players not produce as what promised. We're starting to see the fact that, you know, some of these players weren't getting paid on that schedule that they were promised. Um, Or or even better, you have a team across the basin that had a quarterback that got paid and then was like, you know what? I'm out. I'm not going to play this season. And because of all of those things, I think that there will be a time where things start to go sideways. So it's unfortunate that's going to take time for it to work itself out, but I think you're going to see that happen, which will ultimately probably help us out until they fix everything to where the, the cream of the crop starts to you know benefit again. But you already see it. It's already impacting recruiting. Like I mentioned, three of our top four ranked 
signees have already flipped to bigger schools. Unfortunate for us. We'll probably get into it on another episode and get more you know, in-depth with the recruiting process and everything that's been uh, said and what's going on with recruiting because I know a lot of people have a lot of interest about that right now. Uh, we didn't prepare for that and we don't have enough time in the show this this week. We wanted to, you know, talk about the game in Houston and all that stuff. But we'll do that. We'll get into it. But you already see it impacting recre- uh, Cajun recruiting. Uh, Cajun's in the portal. We mentioned Dante Fleming signed with Tulane. You know, it, I think he's from around the Nor- New Orleans area. He's from Mississippi, but... Yeah. It's right around he there. Went to East, he went to East St. John High School. Well, there so you he's go. He's right around like uh, around Reserve, Laplace area. So there you go. He's in he's in the portal. Uh, I we expect a couple quarterbacks to get a, get in the portal before uh, February. I don't. Is there anybody else that I'm leaving out? Fleming, he's out. Uh, could have sworn there was somebody else that we talked about. Is that it, Jerry? Do you remember? I think that's it. I think we have yeah. the quarterback already in there, and then we have another. And you have to think we have a lot of quarterbacks on the roster. Well, Damian so Youngblood, expected. Damian Youngblood was uh, was the first Cajun to get into the portal, and I got to be honest with you, I think that that was strictly based on competition. Uh, I, didn't, I haven't seen any information about him signing or getting an offer with anybody else, but you know how stacked that secondary is. That's going to be a room that's going to be hard to break into. So I think that that was strictly based on there's just too many people in front of me. I'm never going to play. Uh, obviously. Fleming, I'm going to tread lightly on that. I think that uh, he wanted to get more snaps. I'll just say that. And then obviously I think there's going to be a few more to come. We'll see after the, uh, well, we have early signing day and then we'll have national signing day in February. So still to be seen. I think that we'll probably have some surprises in recruiting, which is why I want to wait. I want to wait to do that show. But we definitely will dig into it. And we, I know we haven't done that in the past, but I think this particular year, a little different. I think it's something we should spend some time on. Um, I think what's what's crazy is that you're starting to see players get into the portal more than once. You're seeing players doing multiple times. You know, they go, oh, I want a better opportunity here. Oh, well, no, maybe not. Now we're getting to, to the portal again. And it's, it's. I mean, not only does it set a, set a bad precedence, but I'm sure coaches see that and go, well, why would I want to take a chance on this kid if he's not committed? If he's already in the portal twice, well, so the, that's going to be interesting to see how that that pans out as well. Our staff's uh, policy on that is: as soon as you enter your name, your locker's cleared out, and you're not invited back. And I think that that's the way you handle it. Um, I hate to, I, you know, it's just kind of like a stone cold hearted way to handle it, but I think that's the proper way to do it. We're not sitting here letting you guys have all the options. If if this is not a good fit for you, that's fine. We have a job to do here, and you can go figure it out. Josh, that's a real world. If that's I went to my employer today and said, you know what? I'm looking at other places. They'd be like, okay, clear out your desk and see ya. Good luck. Real world. And I think that's the problem. I think that kids are not exposed to hard conversations and hard decisions and accountability. And, and so it's, it's catering at a young age to, Oh, how do you feel? Oh, you don't like this. Well, let's change. Oh, well, let's go here. Oh, that travel team doesn't want to work with you. Oh, we'll go to another travel team. And that's where you get to the, well, I don't like the way this guy talked to me. So I'm going to go to this school and Oh wait, they didn't do this. So I'm going to go to this school. And that's how we arrived here at a society. You have to think a couple of years ago, we had a quarterback on our roster that had been at four different schools. He got here and guess what? He transferred out and he's still not playing. And he's, he's like at a seventh different school now and still not a starting quarterback. So how many times is he going to transfer? He's obviously not going to start. But again, it's 
It's the me. It's the how are you feeling? It's not about the team and the culture and this. It's just who we are these days. Well, Josh, what did we talk about before? You, you have these you have these players that basically they go to they, they they enroll into the school, you know, whether it's summertime or early spring, and then they'll go into fall practice. The coach fusses at them at practice and maybe makes them look bad. What does he do? He gets in the portal, and the next week he's playing for somebody else. And to your point, Nick, and it, I'm glad you brought that up. College is the here, let's take away college football. College, college is the last step of life before you go into the real world. What's going to happen if you get a job and you don't like the way the boss talked down to you or you don't like the way somebody looked at you? You, you can't just quit your job in, within one week and then the very next week you're off going to finding another job. That's that's the precedence it sets for some of these these players is that they think that just because they get looked at the wrong way or somebody says them, they can just get up and leave. That's not how the real world works. Like you said, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it's very true. And I'm kind of surprised and, and, and I'm, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole when I say this, but I wish these universities would step up and take the role of under, helping these students understand this is the last step before the real world. Unfortunately, some of these universities are doing the exact opposite. And, and as we call it, they shashad these kids. They're never going to be ready for the real world. If you, if, if you shashad them, yeah, they're not. So I don't know, man, I, I, I can talk all day about that, but no, it's, it's, it, it really applies to, to the portal. It applies to these, these, these student athletes who they don't like the way the coach fussed at them. So they're going to get in the portal and they're going to go play somewhere else next week. It, I know you want to change the subject, Josh. I can see it on your face, but before we do, I'm going to say one last thing. How bad does that kid transferring out of Mississippi state who did this whole thing on Twitter, you know, they do their, their picture and the whole thing and said, since my coach, uh, at Mississippi State, Mike Leach doesn't want me here. I will transfer out. How bad does he feel today? I ain't touching that. <laughs> Back to Jerry's comment about the universities being the last step before the real world. Dude, nowadays the universities are bizarro world. And that's all I'll say about that. COVID Carolina meltdown. How fun has that been? We got oh, news man. today that uh, McCall is going to go to Florida. Is that for real, real? Like he's really going? That's there? what I've been told. I don't know <laughs> if that was posted on the Twitter, but the uh, the old back channel sources are saying that McCall's going to Florida. Oh, man. You know. Irony. Irony. Well, first of all, Chadwell leaves Coastal to go to Liberty. All right. Well, back up. Back up before that. They get beat by 40 to JMU. Then they get spanked in the conference championship game. You can't forget that part. Yeah. Let's start from the beginning of the beginning. But, but go ahead. But the conference that. runs through Conway. Don't forget. Yes. While, while screaming the conference runs through Conway, they get beat by 42 <laughs> in FBS call-up. Who, I mean, to JMU's credit, they were a good, they're a good football team. But you still lost by 40. And then you and, and then you finish second place. You finish whoa, second whoa, whoa, place. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was another step. There was another, there was another step. Backup quarterback gets picked up for beating up a girl. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. All right. Then Chadwell takes the Liberty job. And then, like, just went on some very strange uh, media clips. Like, it was like a span of, like, four or five media clips that just just taking digs. Oh, it was bad. So that was bad. And then you had um, McCall supposedly going to Florida. They've got some transfer. Their recruiting is in the tank. They've got some transfers out of Coastal. Guess McCall didn't piss Teal anymore, huh? And I guess they didn't want to play anywhere, anytime, anywhere. Yeah. 
Oh, and then they hired a head coach that most North Carolina, by the way, it was Tim Beck, right? He's the offensive coordinator in North Carolina State. If you look at the reaction of the North Carolina State fans on social media, they're ecstatic to get rid of him. They were like, thank you for taking this guy because we don't have to see so many screen passes being run with our offense. We finally get to have some creativity in the offense uh, next year instead of this guy. So thank you, Coastal, for taking him. So they hate their new they, they hate their new coach. Oh, screen pass you is what they'll be called. <laughs> I mean, we all knew it was coming to an end. It was such a sham and phony. And then when they find out, like when they get investigated for the Jamie Chadwell era. Oh, man. We have heard some stuff. So it's going to get even more interesting, I think, as we go. I, I, I just, you know, I, I felt like we should take some time to dance on their grave a little bit because, you know, screw them. Next topic. Mike Leach, unfortunately, is no longer with us. And, you know, I know we try to stick to UL stuff, and there's a there's a strange parallel with Mike Leach. He was almost the head coach at this program. And if we had competent leadership, he would have been. Um, I don't think that there's any other way to say that. How like, great would that have been, man? Well, God. Go, you go from Stokely to Leach, two innovators in the game, offensive like juggernauts? I mean, I'm not even talking about his offense. I'm just talking about the sound in clips and the media yeah. clips. And God, I love that man. He would have fit right in over here with the way with the way we are. Like he would have fit right in. It, the content would have been, first of all, like his his spiel's on life and the uh, the lessons and all this stuff. Like he would, it would have been perfect. I feel like we didn't get enough from him. Like I feel like. There should have been like a five-hour documentary of just Mike Leach talking about randomness. Anything. And, and but, but how appropriate is it that Mike Leach the, uh, passed, but the team is playing in a stadium with a pirate ship? And you know how the man loved pirates. It's perfect. That is, that is perfect. Swing your sword. <laughs> you know, it, it, and what makes him so unique on top of just how he was as a person, his uniqueness as unique personality was his unique resume to get to the college football coaching world. I mean, he's a lawyer by trade. He started coaching 15 year old baseball or he coached when he was 15 or something like that. Like he started out as a coach coaching baseball and eventually kind of worked his way into the football world. I don't even know if he played, he played football for a little while, but he, he really like, his, his coaching career started in such a unique way, coaching another sport, and, and then he was able to not only not only stand out as a college football coach, he created his own offense with, through the air raid. That, that was a huge success. And went to these middle-of-the-pack Power 5 schools and made them competitors. I mean, at Texas Tech, he had them in the top five. At Washington State, could barely win a game when he got there. In year two or three, he was within one game from making the Pac-12 championship. I, you have to be a special breed of a coach to be able to pull pull those off. And, and, um, but just, he was such a great person, though, man. That, that, that's what makes it so hard. It wasn't just who he was as a coach. It was who he was as a person that his whole, he's kind of your, your, your crazy uncle or something, you know, like you, you can feel like after winning a big SEC game, they're asking him what his favorite Hall- Halloween candy is. And he'll stand there till the lights go out talking about Halloween candy or giving wedding advice. Uh, yeah. Man He's love candy corn. Yeah. No, no, no. 
I like, uh, you know, I have respect for anybody who stands out in their field, but my favorite thing about Mike Leisha, he just did not give an F what you think, man. He just didn't care. And that is a very rare trait in this world. Everybody's so worried about what other people think. You could tell. every genuine. Yeah, he was a genuine guy. Yeah. Walked to work every morning, you know. He didn't rub everyone the right way, but... He, he was what he was. Especially Craig James' son. Remember that? <laughs> I do remember that. Well, it was so ridiculous. They fired the dude because Craig James got mad that his son got shoved in a locker. Toughen up. Anyway. Uh, volleyball shout out. First time in a national tournament for Christy Gray and the Raging Cajun volleyball team. Thought it deserved a shout out. They uh, were invited to what amounts to the women in IT and volleyball. Uh, the arrow is straight up for the volleyball team. Uh, we hope to be able to visit with said coach soon. Uh, but I thought it was worth something to say. I mean, I know they've been over for a couple of weeks, but we've just not been able to get there because we had so much stuff going on. But, you know, hey, we Coco Gillette is uh, actually saw her at the bar on Friday. Uh, Catherine and I were getting a drink, and they were standing there. It was just gigantic towering girl like god no wonder you're so good you're freaking huge uh lot lot of lot of good girls coming through the program right now we are our talent is very good very good young talent i think the volleyball team is going to to surprise the Sun Belt next season usm texas state and app state are at the top right now and we're kind of fighting our way up there but um i'm i'm looking forward to continuing my new fandom of volleyball. EK Long is electric when they play. I think Christy's a, a shot in the arm that the program needed. It's a, it's a lot of fun to be a part of. You guys want to say anything to uh, to volleyball before we move on? Yeah, I was going to say that Heather Mazetas Fontenot um, really set, set the stage and then Christy is just expanding on that. And the culture that we've seen grow between Heather and and Christy is just phenomenal. And the atmosphere is, is I, I promise you, there is not another, I, I can't, I mean, I've watched some of the games, which I've never done probably ever watch some never. of the games that were streaming online. Right. And, and I will tell you, our atmosphere is, is has to be the best in the entire conference. So kudos to her on her success this season. I think great things are, uh, are ahead for, for her in the program. And it's just great to see, um, see that sport have some success this year. That's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, congratulations to Coach Gray and, and, and her staff and, and her team. To make the postseason for the first time in school history is obviously a huge accomplishment, but also the culture. You see the culture of the program developing before our eyes, whether it's competing against good competition and actually staying in games. I mean, the Michigan State game, we really should have won. We were up by two sets, and they came back and beat us, but – Anytime you go up against a big school like that and go toe-to-toe with them, that shows you that there's a cultural shift in a, in a positive way for, for that program. Uh, also, too, she, you know, they, they were very competitive in conference this year. And the atmosphere, the atmosphere at OK Long has been second to none. I mean, we've kind of created that sort of same vibe that at the Teague and at Lamson. And anytime you do that and you get a bunch of rowdy Cajun fans together and at that type of – environment that can make noise and get rowdy it, you create this massive home field advantage and not only do you do that but you also attract recruits to come play for you because they want to be a part of that as well so 
just a just a great job overall to the volleyball team this year. I like you said, Josh. The only way for them is up moving forward. Coach Gray's done a fantastic job in the short term she's been here, and I expect uh, great things from this program moving forward. It's going to be a lot Look, of fun, Josh. Before you move forward, and this is a little bit off topic, but while it's in my head, I want to say it. Um, we lost a good one this week, Jan Jumanville. I don't know if you guys are know who she is. She yes, had a tropical yes. fishbowl in Lafayette, yes. dude. She was a hardcore. I mean, I was involved with the program for 20 years and, and she was way before me. I, I think when Yvette first got started in building that program, um, she passed away this week. So um, just thoughts and prayers are with her, her and, and her family. That That's a tough one. She was super sweet. And I'm telling you, I mean, I was a kid going to tropical fishbowl and just my eyes were this big and that got me into keeping fish and she had a part in that. And um just super sweet woman. So, um, yeah, that that's a tough loss that we have this week. She was. She, I, I don't think she missed the softball game in, in however many years she was. She was that hardcore. Thanks for bringing that up, Nick. That's uh, always want to honor longtime Cajun fans. They're not not too many of us, unfortunately. Last segment of the night will be a fun one. Office Christmas parties. Forum against them. Story. I'm wide open. I, I got so many thoughts on the old the office Christmas party. Jerry, do you guys have office Christmas parties? We have. Uh, we, we usually do get togethers and stuff like. As far as like crazy office Christmas parties where everybody's just doing throwing doing all kind of games and stuff, not really. Uh, but we have done them before. Uh, it, it's mainly more kind of a laid back environment, you know, leading up to Christmas. Uh, Nothing, nothing. I, I know. I know. Nick's just, you know, waiting to go. Uh, yeah, I'll let. I'll, I'll. I'll hand the floor over to Nick on this one. Yeah. So without um, losing my job, uh, I will. I will just say that that we had some pretty crazy Christmas parties in in my industry in general. If you watch Wolf of Wall Street, that was before my time, right? So there were some really crazy things going on, but. Thankfully, there are albums with photo with Polaroid photos that were put together when I first started working. So I start, first first started working in my industry in about 2004, and I came across this photo album, and it was Christmas party. I mean, first of all, the photo albums had people smoking in their offices, and I mean, classic 80s and 70s stuff. It the was way awesome. it should be, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, but. Talking about the Christmas parties, um, you get to the, you know, you start flipping the book and then you see a Santa and you're like, oh, it's Santa. And then you realize Santa's a stripper. And and they that was an industry sponsored Christmas party going on. So I will say <laughs> the industry is a lot more regulated and the Christmas parties we have now are a lot tamer than they used to be. But I mean, as as. You know, when I was living in Lafayette, we had Christmas parties where I think uh, a lady got a little too uh, into the intoxication mode where she fell into the van and broke her neck. Um, there were things that were going on. Yeah, it's look, it's There's always one that ruins it for everybody else. The intention is always good. The intention is always good. We're going to go out and we're going to have a good time. We're going to go home, whatever. But then it gets into, you know, past 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and then you're things start getting weird. So I'm all about the small gatherings, as you said, Jerry, because our firm will not sponsor that anymore. That is on your own. You guys do your thing and have fun. But uh, 
I, when, when it starts getting bigger outside of a small group, things start getting a little weird. And, uh, but it does make for good stories <laughs> years later, I guess. Makes for a good blackmail too. Terrible HR situations though. There's so many things that like our generation in particular has seen go by the wayside. And you know, like when you first broke into whatever business you broke into, I, I'm sure we all have a similar experience. There was a lot, you know, more loose um, guide rails, I guess maybe. And the Christmas party at the office is definitely one of them. It used to just go off the rails and nobody cared. And next thing you know, you're at scandals and it's 4 a.m. And that's good times. Because again, either somebody has a story to tell or you got some blackmail material. I mean, it's one way or the other. If you're not the idiot, (laughs) you're in good shape. I'm just saying we're all adults, man. Like people make their decisions, big boys and big girls. Let them live with it. You know, now whether or not you want to fund that as, as a company, I get that part. But man, we had some good times. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. It's way more fun when the company's paying. We had some really good times. Man, I tell you what. <laughs> no, man, I tell you what. It's the most wonderful time of the year. All season we've grinded with ups and downs binded. Bull season is here. That's right. The Cajuns get to experience their first Independence Bowl Friday as they take on the Houston Cougars a team that not only has played pretty well in the American conference, but will be playing their last game as an American conference member as they become, or should I say graduate from the group of five and walk into the step of the power five. They will be a big 12 member starting next season. So this officially football wise, the Cajuns will be their last opponent as a group of five school. But anyway, what's great about this game What's significant about this game. What's, Really, what's at stake about this upcoming game is Louisiana has a chance to solidify their fourth straight winning season, as well as their fifth straight non-losing season with the win against the Cougars. It was pretty unimaginable thinking about a fun fact like that about 20 years ago when we were just happy to win two or three games a season. So though cold, we ask all Cajun fans attending to please be careful, travel safely, and please bundle up in this inclement weather so to the fans enjoy it enjoy this weekend have fun celebrate christmas a little early we're red anyway so we're red to get into not only the ul bowl spirit but the christmas spirit maybe have a beer with some eggnog and watch the cajuns take on a really good respectable houston football team to the players you know we've talked about how players opt out or players leave. But for those of you who are dressing out on Friday, take advantage of this opportunity. This is a reward for you. The reward that a lot of schools wish they had. What you get for winning so many games, you're given this opportunity to play on national television against a very well-respected opponent. And you get to play in a bowl that's been around for a pretty long time and has a pretty famous brand during this bowl season. Go out there, play your hardest, make us proud. To the coaches, you know, sometimes second chances come in mysterious ways. Coach Dez, I'm looking at you, my man. You remember what it felt like whenever you found out in 2008 after your last game when that opportunity was blown because of certain politics that kept us out of that game in 2008 out of the Independence Bowl of all bowls. And I will not mention the school that got involved in that, even though we are in their market. So Coach Dez... 
You know what's at stake. I know you have this team prepared. You finally get that chance to play in that Independence Bowl. Go out there, show up, show out. We have faith in you. Also, to the other coach, to the rest of the coaching staff, you're in Shreveport. Apparently, the school to the east claims to be the flagship of North Louisiana, so that means you're in their market. You get to play in a stadium that they claim to be one of their own. Go out there, coach your best game, go and win, take advantage, take it for granted, and do what you can to get the recruiting trail really going in that area. This is a golden opportunity on national TV to use this as a recruiting tool to bring the the greatest and the best to Louisiana. Overtake that market. With a win, use this to your advantage. So for everybody at Razor Review, for all of us, for all you fans, players and coaches, enjoy Friday. You've earned it. You deserve it. Let's go out there and win. To Josh, to Nick, on that. To you guys, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. To Cajun Nation, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Be safe. Stay warm. And as always, man, I tell you what, go Cajuns. Nice job. Uh, I don't think beer and eggnog go together, just for the record. I don't want anybody to think we don't know how to drink around here. <laughs> I had uh, to add a Christmas <laughs> and you win, though. All good. Uh, I had to add it in. You know? Congratulations to, to all of our graduates. Awesome. Yes. 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 Got to Y'all say student athlete is where it's at. That's what we do it for. So shout out to everybody who graduated this past weekend. Uh, also, from our family to you guys and everybody that listens and watches and supports us all the time, sponsors, everybody involved, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, however you celebrate it, all about it. Uh, if you guys like what we do, please subscribe. It helps us out a whole lot. Spread the word. Tell everybody you can about Razor and Review. I think that Friday has a very... Good chance of being a, a great commercial for the program. Uh, Rage and Review will be there in full force. We've been granted uh, some access, so it should be fun. You guys pay attention. We'll have some extra special stuff coming your way this weekend. Matt. Uh, Matt. Jesus. Jerry, <laughs> I hope you feel better. Nick, I'm going to find out exactly what the hell a furry is. Thanks, man. And I, I just read all these other things. These people... Lord have mercy, I can't. Anyway, Poo Poo is Poo Poo is on his best game tonight. He's cutting me. He's cutting up. You know, I can't even. Anyway, you all have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas, all that good stuff. We will talk to you next week. Well, actually, we'll talk to you for the post game. Nick and I will have to figure something out on Friday, but we'll be, be here. Wild. Yeah, we'll be here. It might be a little bit different, but we'll do our best. So everybody, get to freaking Shreveport. No, it's going to be cold. It's been worse before. All right. It's been worse. Just get up there, wrap yourselves in blankets. Let's go support the team. Raging Cajun football one more time. Good night, everybody. <laughs>